Do you want to be in the remnant? I would like to give you a glimpse of the remnant's future work because that helps, that encourages us to walk worthy of the Lord today because perhaps he will choose us to participate in the remnant at some future time. So I'm going to share with you some of my research from Scripture on the future role of the remnant. Knowing the future helps us stand firm today and gives us an incentive to walk in harmony and righteousness with God. We will turn now to the book of Daniel for a prophetic narrative of a future battle that will ultimately defeat Satan and his forces of evil. The story occurs in Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 to 30, when Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are thrown by Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers into a furnace of blazing fire. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the Babylonian Empire. English translations are misleading. Words from the verbal root galvar appear eight times in just eight verses of Daniel, verses 20 to 27. This Hebrew word describes very, very strong and powerful warriors. However, the English translations have merely given us men for the three friends and soldiers when referring to Nebuchadnezzar's warriors. That's in the New American Standard Version. Only once where the Hebrew text employs two words with similar meanings, gibre chayil. So gibor is that very, very powerful and chayil is just another word that means very strong. So it's, it's a doublet. Gibor chayil. Um, so, so only when the Hebrew text employs two words with similar meaning does the translation appear as mighty men. That's in the King James Version as valiant warriors in the New American Standard Version and strongest soldiers in the New International Version. By identifying the original Hebrew words, Instead of relying on the English translation, we see two armies of mighty warriors. The soldiers of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar represent Satan's army. Daniel's three friends in the burning furnace stand for God's remnant. The story begins in Daniel chapter 3, verse 19. The visual image of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who represents Satan, is intense and dramatic. Nebuchadnezzar has worked himself into a rage, and the image of his face has changed. We can see this evil monster. His hatred of the true God is so strong that he gives orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Seven is the number of finality. This will be a future battle to the death. So let's now go into Daniel, chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. Nebuchadnezzar commanded certain valiant warriors, those are the Giborim, who were in his army, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men, this is our Giborim, were tied up. Now, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so we're getting the, the two groups that are Giborim, right? These Giborim, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. 
Nebuchadnezzar's army was comprised of certain valiant warriors. That's the English translation. The Hebrew uh, text is um, Giborim Givrei Chayil. So we have a doublet. We use Gibor twice, and then we add Chayil, which has the same meaning of very, very strong. So this is an, a, a construction that is, is incredibly emphatic, both by its repetition of Gibor and also by the doublet of two words that mean the same thing. These soldiers in Nebuchadnezzar's service represent the Satan of the army of Satan. We are then presented with these men. Now, in Hebrew, it's our Giborim, which is mighty warriors, who are Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The English translation men in Hebrew is Adon Guvraya. Now, Adon is the word for men, but there's an adjective that follows, which is our Gibor. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are powerful and mighty warriors who are standing against God's army and represent the remnant army of God. Now, let me draw your attention to another important aspect of this account, the blazing furnace is a dramatic symbol of the future symbolic baptism by fire. You can find that in Matthew 3.11 if you want to look at it. God's army is being purified. That's what fire does. It purifies and prepares them for the battle that will follow. The purpose of the fire is not to torment or destroy, but to do away with all that is unholy, leaving only what is pure and righteous, similar to the process of refining gold. There is one more passage I will share with you, which I have also included in my book, Uncovering Mysteries in the Parables with Haggadic Midrash. Yeshua delivered a parable to those who had come to hear him teach in the temple grounds. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, Yeshua began, who gave a wedding feast for his son. This parable of the wedding feast ends with these terse words, many are called, but few are chosen. I have previously shown that called refers to those who are called by the name of God, which means they belong to God. All the children of Israel are called by the name of the Lord, as we hear in Deuteronomy. Before his people entered the promised land, God declared all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, Deuteronomy 28.10. By the way, Gentile believers in Christ also belong to God. Chosen, on the other hand, refers to the Hebrew word bahar, which means to select or choose. <clears throat> this same verbal root is used to mean the firstborn, because God chooses, well, the firstborn are, are born to the birthright. <clears throat> the firstborn is bechor. And then the birthright itself is um, bechorah. And first fruits is what the the ones who are worthy give themselves to God as first fruits, and that's bikurim. It's all coming from the, the same verbal root. Thus, the parable of the wedding feast is about God's selection. From among all who are called by his name, God is selecting those who are worthy to participate in the remnant. The wedding feast in the parable in Matthew symbolizes a time that follows a victorious battle. It is a banquet of celebration, which calls to mind Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
We can see a sumptuous banquet table set out before us. Those who are not selected to the remnant must look on and know they will not participate. Then the psalm continues, You have anointed my head with oil. Anointing signifies a position of leadership. Kings were anointed. So were priests. The remnant will also be anointed for a special leadership role. I suggest there will be two battles that will lead to two victories with celebration banquets. One battle will involve the remnant in the Great Tribulation that will issue in the Millennial Kingdom when Satan will be bound for a thousand years. We have just seen the other battle in the book of Daniel, which will take place after the Millennial Kingdom ends when Satan will be released from his prison. I suggest that the remnant will serve in the army of God in both battles under the leadership of their commander, Yeshua the Messiah, and all of God's people will be in the final battle. The banquet in the parable in Matthew seems to be a celebration after the first battle, when Satan will be chained and God will select a remnant to enter the millennial kingdom. All who are called by the name of God will be invited, but only some will be selected. This selection process is conveyed with vivid imagery. So let me read from you Matthew 22, verses 11 to 13. When the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The one who is not dressed in wedding clothes signifies those who are not clothed in righteousness. Binding him is symbolic of bondage to the ways of the world, a condition that is contrary to righteousness. I also suggest that weeping and gnashing of teeth is an expression of agony caused by failure to inherit the anticipated and privileged inheritance of the birthright. This imagery reminds us again of Psalm 23, the banquet will be held in the presence of my enemies, all those who are judged to be unrighteous. They will be outside the kingdom. They're not going to be thrown into hell. They're going to be outside the kingdom, wailing and gnashing their teeth. Among those outside the kingdom will be those self-righteous Pharisees who are still called by the name of God, but they are not worthy of God's selection to the remnant. Also outside the kingdom will be all of God's people, Jew and Gentile, who are not worthy to serve in the remnant. This wedding banquet is a time of judgment and selection. All of God's children are invited, and all must come before the judgment throne. However, only a remnant will be selected. In the parable, whom did the king send out with the invitations? The English translation is slaves, which conveys forced bondage, but a much better translation would be servants, those who are faithful disciples serving their Lord. Also in the parable, there are three categories of those who did not accept the invitation and were thus judged unrighteous. Some were simply not willing, and unfortunately that describes some Christian believers today. Um, now, others were just too busy with their farm or their business. Now, I'm afraid that represents many of us who are Christian believers. Then we learn that the rest 
seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Now, the rest are not Christian believers. The rest refers to those who remain, that is, the remnant that is left or remaining. However, I do not believe these are the remnant of God, but the remnant of Satan that has killed the king's son. Now comes the battle. The king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers, that's the remnant of Satan, and set their city on fire. Once again, we see the imagery of fire that purifies the righteous and destroys the unrighteous. God will cause the final purification of those who have dedicated their lives in service to God. This righteous army is the remnant that will defeat the army of Satan. For some time, I ask myself, are there two separate remnants, one for Israel and one for believers in Christ? Or will there be only one remnant with neither Jew nor Gentile but one people? I cannot answer this question yet with conclusive certainty from Scripture. However, I am beginning to glimpse what is beginning to come together as a pattern. At the end of the pattern, I believe there will be a new creation that is neither Jew nor Gentile.